Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Pixelist, the podcast about all the nerdy things we enjoy. I'm, I was about to say I'm Blake, I'm Will, <laughs> that's Blake, and uh, we're here to talk about some Critical Role today, but before we dive into that, how are you doing buddy? I'm good, good, you just ate some lunch, so uh, yeah, that's the Fueled story. Up. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you have? Now I'm curious. Uh, how dare you? <laughs> I had uh, leftover um, uh, General Tao's chicken. Oh, you made it yourself or? No, no, no. From Hunan. Okay. I was going to say, that's something I want to add to my repertoire. Like, I'd love to be able to make a homemade version of that because I'm addicted to that as well. Yeah. My wife, she was picking it up yesterday and she was like, hey, I'm getting you chicken teriyaki. And I was like, no, no, no. Which is a great also option. good also good yeah but i was like no i gotta go to my go-to i'm the kind of guy who i find something i like and i will never change it ever again <laughs> so <laughs> I, I respect that i'm kind of the same way when you try new things you make mistakes so exactly like when my you, wife when she gets go. something new at a restaurant she's like this was terrible i'm so disappointed and i'm always like yours well, no i'm like you don't let see her. i'm like see i told you <laughs> Turk doesn't share food <laughs> That's why you Bang. don't try new things, Joey. Joey doesn't serve food. Yeah, my wires crossed there. Um, That's all right. It's all good. Did you get last question, and we can move on from this? But did you get the sauces? <laughs> uh, I did not this time. What? Oh because gosh. it was, you know, she was managing two kids, and I didn't want to be. All right, fair enough. Uh, make fair sure enough. That, excuse me. Make sure that you get <laughs> the order must be perfect. <laughs> You're a wise man for yeah. foregoing that. So I was just grateful to have anything to eat. So fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. That checks out. Um, In retrospect, I probably should have been picking food up for her. <laughs> so but I next guess. time. Yeah. Uh, well, now I'm hungry. But um, mm -hmm. all food topics aside, for now, uh, I don't think. Is there anything else we need to mention or talk about before diving in here? I say let's just dive in and get going. All right. Well, yeah, let's do it. So, boom, talking about Critical Role today. And uh, if you're if you're new to us, if this is the first time you're seeing us, you might be on our recap video, which um, for every podcast, we like to do a little bit of a recap for each Critical Role episode. And we cut that out of our podcast and host that separately for your viewing convenience. So if you find yourself on that recap video and you're like, hey, let me check out the rest of this podcast where they actually talk about the episode, discuss theorycraft. You're in luck. We'll link that below. Check us out. Um, but without further ado, let's jump into said recap. And uh, it was episode 23, is that, yep. I believe. Yep. To the skies. To the skies. Oh, yeah. We got the title out. Yep. All right. So, yeah. Episode 23 of Critical <laughs> Role, To the Skies. Um, we pick up basically with the party um, at the end of last episode had made their way back to the spire by fire and are essentially taking a long rest. But before that concludes, uh, Travis lets us know that he's got a little business as Chetney that he wants to take care of. So Chetney sneaks out of the spire by fire and heads to the prism emporium. Um, and he's being real stealthy about it. He's got like his cloak up avoiding people. And uh, he gets there, and is this is this the place, by the way, that he bought the chisels from earlier, like to replace? Yes, yes. and like yeah. okay. he, That's what I thought. he like wrote the person's name down because they charged him too much or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he's now making his way back there, and um, it is closed. The front door is locked, but there are lights on inside. And uh, he notices that there's like an awning nearby on the side of the building. So with a successful like athletics check. Uh, Chetney is able to get up on the awning and then get up on the roof of this building. And he actually goes into the chimney and shimmies his way down it with a natural 20 and is able to, you know, not get stuck, first of all, but also not make too much noise and makes his way to the bottom, avoids the fire, and then kind of continually being stealthy, makes his way through the shop. And he can hear a rummaging coming from a little bit, you know, further in. Um, and that rummaging is none other than Tuyin Atwana, which hopefully pronouncing that correctly, um, who is the said clerk that we were just talking about that uh, Chetney had seen in a previous episode. And they are basically closing down the shop for the night. Um, 
Chet rolls another natural 20 to basically like ominously announce his presence and says like, I'm sorry, the door was closed. And Tuyin just begins to like freak out. And Chetney starts like throwing his voice around different parts in the room and makes uh, an intimidation check and kind of growls just to scare her. And um, she begins just like apologizing profusely because Chetney's like, you should be... Uh, charging more fairly for your wares like a shop should be a safe place to come and so she's just freaking out she's like i'll make it better like please don't hurt me like you know i'll charge fair wages anything you want and um chetney says you know the old me would have just hated you from afar but now like the new me wants revenge and with that he transforms into a werewolf (laughs) and she screams and basically makes her way for the door uh, but Chet takes a swipe at her, um, actually deals, I think, nine damage and like her blood splatters against the wall as Matt describes it. And she's like screaming in pain. And uh, I think Matt even asks Travis, he's like, hey, are you, how far are you going with this? Like, are you holding back? Are you going all the way? <laughs> and Chet, he's kind of like, it is what it is. Yeah, he's um, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's freaking out and he activates his crimson right, which uh, will make his flames kind of or his claws uh flame up with power yeah Yeah. and so he says he uses that to cauterize the wound he just caused on her and he says like now i'll know how to like recognize you and find you and i will be back and with that he leaves her a healer's kit next to her and then he darts for the door um but travis like rolls really low on his i don't (laughs) remember what kind of check it was like an athletic check or something he wanted to bust through the door yeah so the door is locked naturally (laughs) (laughs) and so he rolls to bust through it but he rolls poorly and just like slams into it and falls back down and then he awkwardly is like you you got the key so she gives him the key and he unlocks it and and leaves and there's like this crowd forming outside because she's been screaming and there's been all this commotion so chetney immediately goes invisible and makes his way back to the spire by fire and ultimately to bed um so amazing little like vignette we got to start the episode Um, of travis the serial killer (laughs) yes we'll discuss that more later um but so now morning comes everyone's successfully gotten a long rest and the party basically convenes and kind of has some quick discussions um first and foremost they have nominated fern to be like their official item keeper both like in game and above table kind of like the one who's going to be in charge of keeping track of things and um because they're talking about items and stuff, they basically spend like the next hour. It felt like, or, or at least a good chunk of time messing with this portable hole and figuring out all of its capabilities, how they could kind of abuse it in different ways. And, uh, they basically come to learn a few things. Um, one that the oxygen inside is limited. Um, and I think they, there's about 10 minutes of oxygen. They said, um, <clears throat> that people inside the portable hole can hear what's happening outside, but the people outside cannot hear what's happening inside. And also that Imogen's telepathy also does not like work cross hole barrier or whatever we want to call it. Um, and finally they do test uh, a piece of rope hanging in it and then closing up the hole to see what would happen to the rope. And it does get sliced. So a no, no for being in the, the surface of that when it closes. Um, so after they do all that, Orem then presents Chetney with the horn that they bought from Marwa's thinking it'll be best suited in his hands since he likes to go invisible and scout ahead. And, you know, he could use that to alert them if he finds something. Uh, so Chetney thanks him for that and uses this as an opportunity to present Orem with a gift of his own and uh, the gift that he has been carving for him. And so first he gets out this little moon plate and is like, I started this on you, but it's lame. And he just like tosses that aside. Uh, but instead I made you this box and, uh, he presents him with this like beautifully carved box and it's got the big moon and the little moon on it. And basically the whole cast, both in character and out are like ooing and eyeing over it. And of course, Orem is, you know, very thankful and thinks it's beautiful and they just have a little bit of a moment. Um, moving on though, the party then decides to get some supplies kind of off screen for like food and water for this airship journey. So, you know, they do that and then they actually head to Estros's one last time before heading out. And, uh, you know, they get there and he's got his apron on and he's actually finishing up the cookies that they asked uh, him to bake for them. And so he finishes up his last little batch and hands those over to them. 
and uh, they actually get the statue which they've been leaving at his house from uh, Gianna Hexum's place. And now they have the portable hole. Fern throws that in there. And uh, before they head out, Orem is like, hey, you know, not that we're never going to see you again, but, you know, just since we don't know what our plans are, I just wanted you to know that, like, we are so thankful to have met you. And, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do what we've done without you. Just like a sincere thanks. And uh, Imogen adds on to it that like, yeah, you're, you're a good person. And like, I have not met many and you are one. And, you know, Estros is getting a little embarrassed and, you know, basically thanks the party as well. But he's like, you know, you, you don't know the breadth of it. Like I did some stuff in my younger years. I'm just trying to make up for it now. And he's like, just try to keep your hearts pure because the world will do everything it can to break you. And um, Fern kind of jumps in uh, before they leave to ask him uh, if Mistress Prudage was more than just his patron, if there might be a little bit more to that relationship. And Estros is like, uh, well, you look at the time. You guys better get going. And yeah. uh, he basically just shoes them out. Um, <clears throat> so then the party make their way to the airship. They're heading out of town. And um, they make their way to the Skyport and arrive at the Silver Sun, which is the name of the airship. And it's this, I mean, I was going to say it's big, but obviously, but it's this big airship. It's got like a sandy color scheme, some off-white sails, um, some ballistas on either side and two chunks of broomstone on each side. And then one chunk in the middle, I believe Matt described it as, and they're just taken away by it. They're like, this is the, the highest we've ever been. And just very excited. They get on and a human walks up to them and introduces himself as Khalil and he is the first mate of the ship. They introduce themselves as Bell's Hells and he's like, all right, let me take you to the captain. Um, so he takes them over to uh, this sturdy looking uh, like non-binary tiefling with uh, curved horns, a face tattoo and like a massive saber at their side. And I think the line is, don't make a problem. Don't get thrown overboard. <laughs> Sandus has apparently thrown 20 people overboard, supposedly. Um, and they've got 15 years of experience, so just don't get in their way. Um, they let them know that this is a bare-bones crew just to get the ship moving and back and, you know, stay out of the way. Um, but the party's like, if we can help do anything, let us know. And so they quickly introduce themselves and kind of give a quick like what they're good at um and one thing of note is that fcg actually introduces ashton as their leader um right and then captain sandis says you're allowed to go anywhere but my captain's quarters that's off limits and they say uh, they're finishing a sandwich and as soon as that is done that's when they'll be heading off so khalil then takes them uh kind of finishing the tour of the ship takes them below deck where everyone will be sleeping um, and on the way, they are also introduced to Denalia, who is this like timid bugbear and is also the chef of the ship. And also a couple deckhands, uh, Tarana, who is a dwarvish woman, and Gordy, who is a uh, male goliath. Um, Khalil's like, I'll show you how to operate the different parts of the ship once we actually get going. But for now, you know, that's the tour. This is where you'll be sleeping. Um, yeah, we're going to be heading off soon. So the party... Then heads up deck as well to uh, see things actually set off. And Imogen and Laudna both are like pressed to digitation, setting off some fireworks uh, as the ship takes off. And that's basically where we go to break. Yeah. So uh, coming back from the break, um, you know, Xanis is just, he's just a character. He has this really funny accent. And even Fern is like, yeah, wh where are you from? What's that accent? <laughs> and uh, I can't remember where he said, I think it was the continent the with the letter i Asilra, uh, is that what he said Asilra, yeah, yeah he says Asilra. um but they're you know they're basically it's a, it's going to be a five days travel so they're kind of just you know chilling out waiting for uh them to finally get to basaras and there's a variety of different conversations that happen um uh imogen sort of mentally talks to ashton who's looking over the deck kind of in the distance and just says basically like hey you're you're from where we're going right like what, what made you leave? And Ashton kind of plays coy and just says, well, you know, once you see it, if you remember last episode, he said it was basically like a trash can. Like it was just not yeah. a great place, but he basically says, you know, it's, it's rare. Anyone goes to boss Ross. It's most people, most people leave that area because it's, you know, 
just not anything worth mentioning. Um, there's a couple of things that happen. Orem, you know, uh, Liam O'Brien just being such a cool solo role player um, has this moment where he ties a rope onto the ship and then ties it onto his ankle. And then in this very agile way, way kind of like practices, um, I can't remember if he was like going on the rail of the ship or if he was like actually going off the side and like, you know, like wall walking or something. Oh, I'm not really sure. I, I assumed it was the rail, but that would be really cool if that's what he was doing. Well, it was something. And then he, Gordy's like, you know, that's super dangerous, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's super cool. <laughs> so they have just, you know, kind of a, a conversation there. Um, and they do see in the distance um, these lights that collect into what seems to be a large city. I think it was Gujar Sarai or something to that effect. I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. Your guess is as good um, as mine. But it's called the Green City, and they think of themselves as sort of like the um, the people in charge in this area in the Hellcatch Valley. And Matt points out that actually the crawlers, which are sort of a sub faction within the city and around the city. Uh, and that he also describes as being very Mad Maxian, uh, that they don't believe in any kind of centralized authority. And really, the Green City sees themselves as the leader really through the name alone. Um, I think the first day goes by relatively normal. Um, the second day, they see in the distance, I can't remember if it was like a mountain range or something to that effect, but they see um, another trail of lights that collect at another small city uh, called Kingsfall. Uh, Zandis doesn't know why it's called Kingsfall. Um, Ashton asks Matt, hey, would I know why it's called Kingsfall? He rolls a history check and rolls like an eight. And Matt's like, no, sorry. Um, so they're getting like these little spots, these little interesting um, uh, landmarks that maybe they'll revisit at a later point. But in in the sake of the journey, um, you know, there's not much happening with those uh, locations. They also find themselves in the rift, which the rift is the portion of the Hellcatch Valley where sort of like the lush forest of the Odiran Wilds falls off into the Hellcatch Valley. And the way Matt describes it is that you know, when the calamity happened in uh, Exandria, you know, hundreds of years ago, that the this portion of the Hellcatch Valley is where um, it literally like dropped 300 feet and became kind of a barren wasteland. And so that's why it's called the Rift. And there's sinkholes all over the place that um, seemingly uh, create like these collapse of earth and sand. And then strangely enough, will fill up at a later point. And also Matt points out that there's sinkholes that are labeled on the map, but or excuse me, that they see that aren't on the map. Um, and Matt even offers to write them in onto the map. Um, presumably that the map was created before these sinkholes appeared or that there's something shifting about the rift. Yeah. Um, all this to say, I think it's FCG who's like doing watch or something and he rolls an eight and Matt's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Orem's talking to Gordy and they see something in the distance, something in like the shadow of the horizon. And it is something called a Skarath Hunter, which the best analogy I think of is like a, you know, a fierce manta ray that wants to fly <laughs> and kill you. Yeah. Um, if you've played the Burning Crusade in WoW, like in the Outlands, like the manta stingrays, they're a lot like that. Yeah, yeah. But these these Skirath Hunters basically zoom in with lightning speed and combat begins. Um, without getting too in the weeds of combat, it lasts a few rounds. Um, the coolest thing about combat is for the first time, we see some really unique abilities that we haven't seen yet yeah. from our adventurers. Um, Ashton does something really cool, like the crystals in his head become clear and translucent and kind of like whirl up. And he creates a portal in front of him that he can swing his hammer into, and then the portal appears like you know 10 or 15 feet away and the hammer goes through it and hits one of these uh manta ray so hunters cool. and then actually later when he finally kills one of the manta rays he like lunges like 20 feet smashes its head open and then as he's falling he creates a portal that he falls through so that he can land on his feet on the deck below um just insanity yeah 
So that happens. They also jump onto the little ballistas, like the harpoon guns that are on the sides of the ship. And those do, I think, 60-10 worth of damage. Uh, they're massive, and they, they hit with both of them. Um, and other than that, I'm trying to think of other things that happened that were really important. Fern tried to talk to them and realized that they were not animals. They're actually monstrosities. Uh, and then Orum uh, actually gets knocked off of the ship where Ladna just barely casts, um, I think it was Featherfall or something to that yeah. effect. Yeah. And so he gets knocked off the ship and presumably to his death. <laughs> Matt actually, basically, Ladna tries to cast this and he's like, no, you wouldn't have seen it. And then she argues for it and he says, okay, let's let the dice decide. And then she rolled like an 18 or like a natural 19. And so just barely gets it off, falls yeah. over the ship and Featherfall causes him to kind of levitate. Um, he does actually get hit with the sail of the ship that kind of sends him sprawling. And Imogen, out of nowhere, has this crackling purple energy that launches her into the air, and she casts Fly to the surprise of herself and everyone else. And she swoops down and picks up Orum and <laughs> kind of envision like her just holding him like in, <laughs> in his arms, like this little baby person, yeah. and uh, brings him back up to the ship. So um, they end up defeating the hunters. Uh, they do, for whatever reason, kind of realizing the exotic nature of these beasts, they decide to try to harvest them. Um, Chetney actually is proficient in alchemical supplies and he's able to grab like the spine or like the, um, the tail spike of this creature, like where the barbs were shooting out. And basically, like uh, Matt describes it as milking it <laughs> and milks five vials of this black, um, inky, poisonous liquid. And then Fern decides that she wants to take an eyeball with her. And so she sticks her hand into like the visage of this creature and pops it out. Wants to put it in the hole, but Ashen's like, I just don't know if we want to stink up the hole with that. <laughs> so, um, other than that, the party finally gets a full day's rest or full night's rest after that. Uh, they do blame Khalil for um, not doing his part as first mate. I think Chetney's like, hey, these harpoons weren't loaded. Like, you should, he's not doing his job. You need to get on to him. And Xanis is like, thank you for tattletailing on my own crew. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also points out, he's like, well, we don't keep them loaded because, you know, if the ship has to turn suddenly, we don't want it to like fire and kill one of you, basically. And they're like, that seems like a good idea. That's a good call. Um, after combat, um, basically, uh, they have five days travel. So I think it's like around day three or day four where FGG's talking to Imogen and is basically like, and you know, they've had these interactions where they're kind of like, Hey, are you good? Are you feeling okay? And obviously, um, Imogen is very, um, aloof about it. You know, she doesn't, it's almost like there's a bit of an addiction with the gnarl rock shard yeah. that she doesn't want to clue them into. And um, FGG offers, he's like, hey, for your dream, if you want, I could potentially bring Ladna into your dream as sort of like a bridge. And um, she's like, yeah, okay. Um, I don't know if I want to do that right now, but I'm, I'm interested. Like, we can maybe do something like that. Um, separate from that, um, Fern actually sneaks into Ladna's room at night. I think it was, was a natural 20 or a natural 19. Yeah. And she takes Pate and Shishimi. And positions Pate on top of Shishimi <laughs> in a sexual manner <laughs> and then sneaks out. I don't know why she wanted to do this, but she did. And then Fern wakes up and she's like, they do have souls. Almost like kind of like a uh, Toy Story-esque. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> alive. Um, and she was like, you randy fools. Um, all that to say, the last real meaningful conversation is um, on one of the last days, Ladna and Imogen are by themselves on the deck of the ship late at night while everyone is sleeping. And Ladna basically is like, I think it's kind of like, the, you know, they, they're pretty much best friends and yeah. almost like sisters. And uh, she's kind of checking in and is like, Imogen, I'm kind of, I'm kind of concerned. Like you just seem kind of, you just seem different. Like with all this power you've been getting, it's really great. I'm, I'm proud of you, but like, do you feel like you're doing okay? And, Imogen again is kind of aloof about it. And she's like, yeah, you know, I didn't even know I could cast fly, for example. Um, and essentially, um, Lana basically cuts to the chase and she's like, is it, is it the rock? Is it the stone? Like, are you, do you feel like it's making you worse off? 
And Imogen kind of plays coy and she's like, well, I don't think it's good or bad. I mean, I, but I do find like a security in it. And she finally opens up and is like, I've, I've thought about just throwing it off the edge of the ship since we got up here. And Lana feels this sensation, like this prickly sweat on the back of her neck that it's like this urgency or like this fearfulness at that line of throwing it off. And as they continue to talk, she feels this irresistible sensation to hold the shard herself. And so finally, Lana says, Imogen, why don't you let me hold it? And I can, maybe I can feel some of the sensation you're feeling so I can better understand it and better understand how to help. Yeah. And Imogen's very hesitant. And she says like, you're not going to like do anything. Right. And Lana's like, I would never do anything without your permission. So hands it to her. Um, she immediately grips it and feels this hot burning sensation in her hand going down her arm. She tries to drop it. She can't. Imogen's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And she hears Delilah Briarwood in the back of her head. And Delilah basically says, you know, child, this is much too dangerous for you. I'll take care of it. And the rest, this is such a cool scene. The rest of the cast is all just like, what is going yeah. on? Matt describes the energy. It feels like kind of like a, a heartbeat crawling up her shoulder and then this warm heat resting in her chest. And then she opens the stone. She tried to let it go. It wouldn't let her. She finally opens the stone and it is dull and absent of any energy and actually shattered in her hands. And Imogen is like, what did you do? And in the first moment of division between them, she says, you lied to me. And then she basically says, I'm going to go to bed. And Ladna left alone, goes to the head of the ship and is basically to Delilah. What did you do? And Delilah says, I took care of it. And thank you. And that is where episode 23 ends for Critical Role. Oh, emotional so, ending. Dude, amazing ending. So, hey, that's our recap. If you're checking out the recap video, click on the link in the description of the episode to see our full discussion. Having said that, uh, all right, here we go again. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> no, it was it was oh, amazing. I, it, we got yeah. so much cool stuff. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, it, with how it ended, obviously, that was like the biggest... <laughs> moment of the whole episode but yeah can't forget that it started with such an amazing moment too with travis and uh yeah that was amazing i loved it i mean we are we joke about this but you know tune into the episode where we say we hate it because that one's probably going to be real interesting but <laughs> yeah that one has to be bad yeah <laughs> you'll just know it is but yeah what about you yeah. i'm sure it's the same all right i loved it <laughs> yeah i thought it was awesome i mean these guys are just so fun to watch i feel like i i don't want to like i feel like i always do the same things i mean they're fun to watch it's great chetney was amazing um all of them were amazing uh laden and imogen at the end it was one of those moments where i was like i wish someone was watching this with me right now because this is this is a moment for Such sure good uh actors as well i mean laura was killing it and oh yeah i think ashley even like said that exactly after and it was hilarious to uh watch her face uh but ashley was just sitting there like looking back between both of them and she was like i love and, this game i have a front row seat to the best theater yeah and i've actually i told something joy picked up on in exandria unlimited was how ashley is so good at reacting like being part of the session even when it's not the focus on her yeah uh, but just like the facial like she is gripped onto whatever's happening yeah. you're totally right she was like all the emotions i was feeling she was showing the agony of it and then you have travis just being like just he, he's just like yeah uh, and then orum uh liam o'brien he goes i think he goes whoops <laughs> you know, after the stones broken so yeah I, it's it is fun to watch a group of people experience something where you know they're experiencing something really meaningful and you get to be part of it yeah. so yeah it was an awesome scene for sure absolutely and well said i think that puts it nicely for one of the things that's so fun about critical role right um but yeah uh I mean, I guess we're already talking about it, even though it's the last thing that happened. Should we just dive into that moment? Into it. Yeah. So seems like Delilah has, there, we got two details because we wondered, is Delilah controlling or the patron of several 
people, and we presumed that was the case. Matt yep. made an interesting comment. He said, this person who lives in your spirit. Um, so I didn't know if that was just a comment of description, like we're just, he's just being descriptive, or mm -hmm. if that was like, no, like she lives in you because like of the only the, one because of the background with the sun tree or what have you. That was interesting. And then I'm presuming she has absorbed the energy of the gnarl rock stone and maybe is trying to come back to life or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I didn't actually even notice that detail you just pointed out. That's very interesting that like, I don't even know what the right verbiage would be to use here, but that like Delilah is tied to specifically Laudna. And if so, that would be very interesting if like she was trying to ultimately like take over her body or something. Mm, yeah. Maybe body snatcher. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought about the whole heartbeat thing. Cause to me, I was like, is Matt insinuating that Laudna is now like alive again? Yeah. I Not wondered if that's, I wondered if that was happening. Cause it's the, the description was so intentional. It felt like, you know, you described it like a warmth, like a heartbeat. These are things that we know are in opposition to who Laudna yeah. is, you know, as an undead, um, or whatever, you know, the hollow explicit, one. Yeah. The explicit description is, but, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it would be really interesting if she was progressing towards becoming human again i don't know yeah which i i wondered about the heartbeat comment just in general but now combining that with what you just shed light on makes me wonder if it was like a the first sign of maybe delilah getting a, a stronger grip on that body if she is trying to ultimately take it um but so clearly she absorbed the energy of it like that's what happened but to what purpose is Delilah just able to, I mean, we know the gnarl rock was like, I don't know if evil is the right word, but it like corrupts the things it right. touches. So is she able to just like, because she's Delilah and like dabbled in the dark magics and stuff, is that why that was possible? Or could Delilah literally sap magical energy from anything if she wanted to? I'm just wondering about like, was this a specific connection? And like Delilah is very interested in the, exactly what that was or is it just more of an opportunity to sap some I energy i take it i take it as like this is an object of immense power um we know it created the um who's the villain they fought in the mines um oh the shade mother yeah the big bug queen <laughs> um yes we know it corrupts and transforms and does all this crazy stuff so um, I interpret it as Delilah observing this as something of incredible power and to do what I'm going to do, whatever that is, I'm going to need, I'm going to, I need that. Can I get that? <laughs> so, yeah, which is just so many questions. I mean, it seemingly is a part of a Laudna now. So like mm -hmm. how else would Delilah be able to utilize that unless she mm -hmm. is planning on like literally we and you know we Puppet got kind of her. a we got kind of a rare moment from Matt too because Matt is usually content to just sort of sit back and let people do what they want and we got he basically said you you should probably take a look at it like that's kind of the feeling you had is you should do this um which i i didn't i didn't think it was forced or anything i just thought i just thought it was interesting that um it's it's just rare we get kind of an overt direction from Matt um yeah to me, but, and I don't know if this is fair, but to me, that was Delilah's voice right, in her head. You right. Know? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, you lied. I think that's clearly, I mean, it has a lot of le layers to it, I think. But, you know, was, I, I saw some people like debating what they thought that meant. And to me, I think that is just the fact that you promise you're not going to do anything right to yeah. the rock right uh but obviously i think it has some like layers to it like we, they have this very close relationship and it, the trust was betrayed right um i do think that i think all the emotion was there because of the trust being broken but i think it was probably enhanced because of the corruption and she's like kind of like the one ring not wanting to give that up i think that probably played into it yeah um, for sure do we know if 
obviously she's been obsessed with this thing and like touches it when she's sleeping and doesn't want anybody else to see it. But have there been any other tangible effects that like I I can't think of any that well like, I mean I think that's the lore explanation for Fly. You know, so she leveled up. I guess oh. she picked up Fly. Um, she has a conversation either with Laudan or someone else who's like, I think Laudan says, did the, did the rock help you like learn to do that? And she's basically like, I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe, um, so I, I think, yeah, I think, I think there's this very, um, it was so well done the whole thing. Cause it wasn't just like, oh, you broke my rock. It's like, no, you, you kind of, like you said, the one ring that is, she's feeling, um, maybe a sense of security from and control from and seems to be growing stronger because of it. If fly is implied to have come from it and she has this very intimate relationship with it where it's like, you know, she goes to sleep at night clutching it and now it's been taken from her. So, and we've just always known that Imogen and Ladna are BFFs yeah. or, or, or maybe, maybe you know, more. <laughs> yeah, maybe more. We don't know. Um, but extremely close. Um, it's this is a very interesting plot point for sure yeah and i i honestly can't wait to see how it gets picked up which i mean they it's not like we left right on that cliffhanger they did part ways you know like she says i'm going to bed um but i really can't wait for the aftermath of this also just so like the other people are gonna find out like especially orum like if orum hears the name delilah briarwood that's gonna set off alarms for him because i'm sure he's familiar with that name given his connection to right to keyleth and everything um because and we might we may have even known this before this episode but uh imogen knows of delilah right like didn't she even say was it her or something yeah i don't know if she knows if she, i don't know how much she has said before this episode but in their conversation when lana is basically trying to comfort Imogen, she's basically like, I, I get it. I get what it's like to have this other power that feels comforting to draw on. Right. And I had actually forgotten about her being like swallowed by like the viney creature or whatever in the uh, Heartmore. Um, but yeah, she says like, have you, has she talking, has she spoken to you recently? And she's like, yeah. And the Heartmore, she made this very grand entrance. Um, so yeah, I, she's obviously aware of her, knows of her. I think she even like looked her up and read about her in the oh yeah yeah you're library. Right. You're right. So she curiosity. Does. Yeah, because she wanted to find out could she free Lana right. of the patronship, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm really curious if Imogen's gonna like spill the beans to everyone else because I don't think anyone else knows, knows that name. Maybe right. FCG since he was like there but he wasn't like paying attention nor probably like reading over her shoulder when she was researching but um yeah i also speaking of this was a, a while back that we talked about this but the, the rest of the cast like reactions during that moment it was interesting to watch talison uh kind of hear delilah and, and you know he's got a pretty you know strong connection to that character from his campaign one days right. um but yeah so in character and out of character i would just love to see everyone else find out about this which i don't know i kind of could see her not bringing it up either like and just i don't know the right word here not being spiteful but just being like you know kind of done with laudan and just like not not like giving her the silent treatment but just like not addressing it and you know just kind of like moving on um so i don't know i'm interested to see maybe we'll get some more on that tonight yeah, I mean, yeah, for me, I, I, I wonder with details like this, are we like, you know, with campaign one, I don't, I don't know if this is the case with campaign two, but you know, there's like the Briarwood arc, then there's like the blank arc or what have you. Um, part of me wonders in retrospective, are we continuing to get like these little breadcrumbs or are we about to potentially get like an entry into like a larger story point. Like, is this, cause I think, I think that, I mean, obviously no way to know, but if it's the former, then maybe they do just continue on and there's some awkwardness there and maybe next session or in a couple sessions, she's like, yeah, I understand. It's okay. Like we're fine. Um, or maybe it's the beginning of a serious rift for two characters that seemed unbreakable in terms of their relationship. And it's like, okay, yeah, where is this, this might be like a total focal point as they, 
you know, go on their adventure. I don't know, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm definitely excited. I'm really excited that tonight's the next episode because I want to see what's going to happen for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, not to just keep harping on these same points, but I'm interested to see. And obviously this next episode will be picking up right from the moment. So I'm sure the emotions are still fresh, but if she maybe is cool with it eventually, because she does can, can recognize that it was like corrupting her and is, you know, just right now it sucks and hurts real bad, but maybe she'll be like, Oh, thank you for doing that. Like I, that was, yeah, I don't know. I mean, stuff. I think for her, she was like really tormented by this dream and acquiring the rock kind of gave her her first sense of like, um, control over that dream or at least a new direction. And so, um, I think Laudan, when they're even talking about the, maybe her bring getting brought into the dream, there was even a, um, comment from Laudan on like, maybe we should wait till, you know, Rudis is at its peak, which again is implying that we're, we're near that maybe the solstice. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But um, it actually makes me wonder if Delilah, if their friendship isn't as authentic as we think, but that just like Delilah kind of goaded her into like, you need, you, need to, you need to look at the stone for yourself. Not, not saying that Lana isn't genuine in her relationship, relationship with Imogen, but if Delilah's drawn to sources mm. of great power, Imogen is like the stereotypical, you know, can't think of the expression, the analogy, but you know the being of immense power yeah a root is born that yeah i mean this dream uh, is connected to this cycle yeah i'm sure i'm sure they are authentically friends but maybe there's a little bit more of intentionality there that ladna isn't herself aware of because yeah delilah sees an opportunity i like that a lot i hadn't thought of that but so like their their meeting wasn't such a chance encounter like this is delilah pulling the strings of like yeah i like that but again, to your point, not that Ladna knows that and is manipulating her, but she's just, yeah. you know, a patsy in the in the game. That's I like that a lot because I mean, seemingly, Imogen is not the chosen one, not, not not that far, but she's clearly connected to this whole thing. And as we know from the Legend of Vox Machina and stuff, Delilah has tried to use this very celestial event before so perhaps she's trying to use it again and now she's got herself a nice little conduit in imogen or something yeah i mean if i was delilah i'd want to stick to imogen's hip for sure you know go where she's going because they're because they don't really have much of a reason to be together other than you know it was like oh she passed through my village and it was like yeah let's let's stay together so it, it would be interesting in retrospect if neither one realized that it wasn't as serendipitous as maybe they described it yeah that would be that would be really that would be really cool if that was the uh case yeah. i like that we're calling it Head first on the pixelist podcast <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't happen it. We're, yeah <laughs> just just forget about this. that's right we'll delete this segment yeah. no one will ever know <laughs> um but yeah i mean i i still have a lot of questions but it's just basically where i'm gonna go in circles with all my postulating but mainly i can't wait to see the aftermath of this and i want to just know more about why and how delilah was able to siphon that and like what like again i don't want to keep going on this for another 30 minutes but like i wonder if laudna will now have like a, a buff to her capabilities or her power because of that energy that's now inside of her it'll be interesting to see yeah oh, that'd be interesting for sure yeah because we're getting we're getting some cool lore descriptions for why new things are happening um which we mentioned fly we mentioned uh we mentioned ashton but i forgot to mention in the recap that orem actually asks ashton like how come you can suddenly do that you know <laughs> which is like i think this is just such peak D yeah table like we're like you know, someone gets like a super cool, super cool ability. And you're like, Hey, what's, how did that happen? <laughs> or if it's like one of my uh, tables, it's like, Oh, cool. You can shoot fireballs anyway. You know, there's like no discussion about like, no one's even curious. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, I had a weird dream last night, which happened off camera. Um, so I'm curious about that too. Like what's going on there? 
Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm curious if that was just like a quick offhanded comment because he needed to think of something or if there really was like something he and Matt talked about. Um, it'll be super interesting. Uh, but yeah, I always, I always love those moments and uh, not to harp on it again, but like Imogen going, what did they, they even called her like the Scarlet Witch or something in that moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was just such a cool, flavorful way to do it. Be it from the null rock, be it from just leveling up and she, that's how she wanted to do it. Um, I mean, like you mentioned at some of our tables, it's just those things happen without a second thought. And it's just, I don't know. One of the reasons Critical yeah. Role is so good is that they put thought into all those things. I, I will say something I'm excited about is it, it feels like, I mean, you have someone who can fly, you have someone who can portal, I, which I, I, is the portal basically, um, I think Chetney said something like, or Travis basically was like, oh my gosh, you basically have like Misty Step. And Ashton was like, yeah, something like that. So it, it seems like he has kind of like a um, character homebrew specific version of that. But also the fact that he can create portals and send things through it, even attack through it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just really intrigued from someone who DMs a campaign. I'm really intrigued to see how Matt handles these really... Um, potentially able to be abused abilities and like balances all of it, especially in combat, like just like the, the DM hat that I wear sometimes I'm like, how do you even, how do yeah. you even deal with that? So, cause they're getting very creative in their abilities for sure. And as the whole 30 minute discussion on the portable hole tells you, they're going to try to think of every way that they can abuse it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I do know that in the past when Matt has like homebrewed some stuff, you know regardless of what that is he will tweak it on the fly so like we may see that get nerfed if it if it is a problem or maybe buffed um he's done that in the past but yeah such cool flavor i mean what a cool way to get your barbarian arranged attack by you know they don't have to just throw a shoot throwing knife or something you just how about you just portal and you can do your normal melee but far away yeah um, it's super cool because yeah you Think of the class fantasy of a barbarian. You don't want to. All right, I shoot my crossbow again. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so and that's yeah, one of like cool. the main weaknesses of barbarians. So like it'll be, I don't know, just super cool. And it kind of plays into the whole. We went to a long discussion on this last episode, but the whole dunamantic energy vial that you know has made Ashton who they are. Uh, it's cool that the 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 powers of that are continuing to flavor his abilities and stuff and right and i was really taken away by the fact that he that he could actually portal himself too like i thought it was just going to be the weapon thing yeah for sure um, so yeah I, i'll love love to see like he all right sorry i'm getting in the weeds on this but when he did portal himself at the end of that attack he had attacked right so right is misty step a bonus action because if it's an action um let's see and again, it, it might have just been a flavor thing, and let's say like to yeah, hell with that action. Okay, yeah. Because um, I was wondering like how often he he could do that, or right. I mean, we'll find out, I guess. But right, thought it was awesome. Is the the long and the short of it, and uh, <laughs> all that to say, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, and I can't wait to see it. You know, presu presumably, if we get there, what high level stuff Matt has created for this new class that or yeah class isn't the right word but whatever it's called yeah no yeah yeah it's subclass yeah so yeah i want to see level 20 what it can do i mean you think we're gonna get there probably not i mean in campaign yeah. one they went to 20 but they started at what eight they started out higher i don't remember nine i think um and in campaign two, they didn't quite get there. So I imagine they typically won't get there, but maybe there's like a time jump or something. And, you know, we jump yeah. from level 10 to 18 or something from like a now. lost week in there somewhere. Is <laughs> that, that EXU callback right yeah. there? Yeah, dude. <laughs> nice. I like maybe that. in this episode, we're going to find out what happened. <laughs> oh, it was a play test all along. <laughs> it's canon ish. Yeah. So what level did they start in campaign two? It was two, uh, right? Uh, I, or was it three? No, it was it, two. It wasn't one. I know that much. Yeah. So was, I think it was. Level, what level did they get to? I should know, but I think it was like fifteen to eighteen. I yeah, don't okay. think they quite got to eighteen, but somewhere around there. 
maybe 16. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Okay, interesting. Yes, yes. Well, so, so yeah, we got some cool new flavor. Um, inter- interested to see. It seems like we're. It seems like for better terminology, we're like stepping into, um, for lack of better terms, we're stepping into like kind of a more Ashton focused um, part of the story. Um, Maybe. Which I, I say that we've actually he's been a pretty central character. They all have actually, but you know, FCG story, I guess has been more, um, supplementary in the sense of like people curious about him, him telling what happened. Whereas like Imogen has been directly tied to like the Loomis twins, Ashton, obviously, you know, they did work with Gianna Hexum. Um, I'm just curious to see like if, you know, where we're going with them and like, what's, what caused them to, you know, leave Bosseros and head to Drusar because they've been in Drusar for a while, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and yeah, me too. I would, I'd love to see if if that cult prediction ended up that you pointed out that maybe he was part of that Hishari cult. Right. Um, if that is the case, I'm really interested to learn more about that. And I think I don't know if you and I talked about this on podcast time or not, but I think we talked about it off podcast uh but we i think there was confirmation um that genasi that you know that he made the comment about like i was i used to be soft um we were wondering right. what 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 that might mean and apparently genasi do start as like more normal for lack of a better word and when they hit puberty they gain traits of their tribe or elements or whatever okay that makes a lot of sense um, okay but that being said, for all we know, it could still be something crazy and he wasn't a Genasi at all. But um, anyway, all this to say that I am very interested to learn more about Ashton, um, whatever it may be. Um, so, yeah, if we got more of a Ashton central arc coming up, I'm excited for that. Well, and we're heading to like the silver mine or wherever also. Where yeah, that part of the world, right? Yeah. For FCG. So that'd be really interesting. It's also interesting too. It seems like they're heading past so many landmarks that, like, I presume they're not gonna not gonna go to all of them. We may never see, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's the curious side of me wonders, like, what Matt has cooked up and maybe like put on the shelf of like, oh, I wonder if it'd be cool to do that, or you know, I'm just curious to see what happens with some of these things. Like, like no one seems to know what this history of Kingsfall is in terms of like the name, and so what is that? I yeah, want to know. Exactly. Right. Um, maybe they'll if maybe they'll just ask around even if they don't go there since they like actually brought that up and talked about it for a minute. I hope somebody like right. remembers to just ask about that to some knowledgeable person in the future. Uh yeah, cuz I'm the same way. Th- those all piqued my interest. Um and then this is kind of a segue, not really, uh but before we stepped too far away from it, one thing I did want to mention that I actually forgot to mention last episode in talking about players new abilities and cool flavor and stuff is that um both chetney and fern took a level in rogue the last time they leveled up right um chetney i get he's kind of the 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 party's de facto rogue um in a lot of ways uh fern makes a little less sense but to me it's just all almost flavor reasons you know she likes to steal things so i'm guessing she maybe took a level in that to help her sleight of hand and maybe some stuff for that reason as opposed to like a pure like she's trying to be a rogue type of reasons. Yeah, because you the sneak attack damage, she's a druid, and so I mean she's. I mean, when you're when you're, so here's a question: When you um, wild shape, can you get sneak attack damage on the wild shape attack? I guess. I mean, I would assume you could if if the conditions were met. I don't. Yeah. Okay. Do rogues have sneak attack like from level one? I'm not. I I'm think not familiar so. enough to know if that's like something they get or something they or always level have. Two. Let's see. Let me take a look. I think it's level one, but yeah, level one. Mm. So that would be really interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I just wanted to but bring it's that also, up. Because... It's also only a one d six, so it's not like the biggest. So yeah, I, I'm sure she probably mostly did it for like the the flavor of it, the sure. kleptomaniac side of her, um, right? But just just wanted to mention it because that caught me off guard when I saw that on the nameplate. Um, again, Chetney made sense, but I was like, wait, Fern? 
Um, so just wanted to throw that in real quick. But then, um, sorry, looking through my notes really quick. Oh, um, speaking of Chetney, that's the other main thing I wanted to talk about was just basically the, the intro to this episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, talk about questionable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I thought I thought we were about to get like a lore drop of like this was someone that there was a clue and we missed, and this was like this person knew um, Altgar or something. But but I remember that episode where he was like, yeah, it was like how much was it? Like sixty gold or something crazy? Or yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember the amount either. But you know, he felt like he was, was like, getting ripped off. Yeah, it was like oh, it's the finest mahogany or something. I'm making it up. I can't remember, but. Um, yeah, that was a bit, that was a bit brutal. It was great. It was great. But also I was like, are we the baddies? Like, yeah, <laughs> like Matt even, like, I think he's like, you know, yeah, you see like exposed bone and people are like, uh, and he's like, this is a merchant Travis. <laughs> yeah. I, my thoughts exactly was that what well, it was, it was an amazing like sequence and like so cool right. for Travis to like have that idea and go do that, especially cause he, has been planning it obviously you know that the first encounter where he like writes down the name on the list you know could have just been a one-off joke but no like that was he was literally writing that down because he wanted to come deal with this later uh he's making a list he's checking it twice uh going <laughs> scurrying down chimneys there's a lot of uh <laughs> allusions i'll say maybe to his original character that this was based off of um but yeah what a what a cool direction to take like the morally like messed up kind of that he did that you know so I, yeah basically assaulted and nearly maimed a defenseless <laughs> woman i mean yeah and then um the duality to then like give this really heartwarming carved gift he's been working on to his friend i just thought it was like a hilarious like duality of of chetney um which to me I mean, maybe this is too simple an explanation, but it's like it's the werewolf in him, right? Like we talked about this whole concept with uh, Ajit Dial in the last episode about like, and you know, everyone asked Chetney, like, have you ever lost control? Like, have you ever? And he was like, no, you know. So to me, this is one moment of that type of thing that I assume all werewolves have to deal with. But maybe, maybe that's too clean of a pass, and maybe Chetney just has some demons that he needs to work out or wants to work out now that he has this new power i don't know yeah it's a little too clean for me in the sense of like Ajit dial's description made me think of of a more like feral out of control type situation true um like when he attacked orem uh this felt more like because he was actually in the shadows and then he basically gives into it like the werewolf comes out as he's like you know taunting him and um but it could also be something subtle, kind of like we said with Ladna and Delilah, like he feels like this drive or like this, you know, hunger that sort of forces him forward and he doesn't realize, or maybe he knows it's the wolf in him. I don't know. But, um, and then there could also just be, you know, Travis just really wanted to do this one thing, you know, without really much thought of like the overall story of his character and just was like, you know, I'm going to go back to this person's shop. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so, I will give Travis, I don't think it was that. He's very, like, he's one of the, I, I don't want to, not ranking them at all, but Travis is one of my favorites, and he's very, like, he's very on it all the time. So I feel like, I feel like this was intentional. And, uh, I mean, presume, he used the word list, so presumably there's other people on it. And uh, I'm interested to see who else he wants to pay back, you know, and what, what their slight was, if it was just, like, a rude shopkeeper or maybe something more. I'm curious. I mean, does I guess the party are they ever going to find out about it? Yeah, that's interesting. Because I know sometimes things can happen like as a one-off. Like I know in a campaign that I'm in, some really crazy stuff has happened with like individual characters, but so much else has happened that there hasn't been like haven't had time to like, and it hasn't like made sense to be like, hey, I had a dream like two months ago. You know, so I'm just curious to see like, will it come up in some way? Like, will they find out about it? Will they challenge him about it? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I bet they will. Maybe not like 
might not be anytime soon. It might not be this specific incident of it, but I bet eventually they will find out if he does this to somebody else or maybe just it somehow gets brought up because I mean, that's, that's the far more interesting choice, you know? So I feel like he's making those things to ultimately like have those moments maybe down the line. Um, right. But yeah, uh, definitely was premeditated, which makes it seem less of the feral werewolf type of thing and like something right. that, you know set out to do intentionally dude yeah. but it's just how much of that is because of the werewolf inside him versus just him taking advantage of the strength he has now right uh, so yeah i you know loved that moment love travis of course so i really excited that he kind of like took that risk like that's just a, such a cool direction to to have is not that he's evil but just that you know he did something that was definitely morally super questionable yeah yeah <laughs> so just a, a cool little dynamic to have at the table um and i'm interested to see where that goes yeah me too for sure so uh what else there was one other small detail i was thinking of when xanus was talking about they were asking like if he's ever if they've ever been to uh king's fall and Xanus is like, oh, no, we mostly go from Drusar to Ankarel to Vasselheim mm-hmm. uh, between those three places. And isn't Vasselheim, wasn't that like the capital or something or like in a super important city? Yeah, it's like uh, it's in Asilra, which is where he was from. But yeah, it's like the, the seat of civilization, basically, like the the biggest city in the world or maybe not the world but at least the continent Um, okay but yeah definitely a major player yeah i just wondered i wonder what kind of there's nothing i mean it's total conjecture but i just noticed that and thought huh i wonder what kind of business esteros has there yeah me too um yeah i mean very i mean presumably it's just the mistress prudage textile industry but i mean who knows we there's i feel like there's still more to be there's still more layers to Estros that we don't know yet. So for all we know, it could be, I mean, I don't know. I'm not just going to speculate, but yeah, I, I too am curious about what all's going on there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Xandis yeah, and all of the crew were so fun though. Just to yeah. heart back on that for a second. The voice was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was cracking me up. So I hope, um, I hope there's more to see from, them even you know maybe we get multiple excursions with this crew throughout the campaign but um yeah interesting detail too that they have to basically drop them off and go he said it's going to be about a day to come back and get you like give us give us like a heads up but um it seems a bit precarious i I'm, yeah <laughs> and i think maybe everyone kind of picked up on that of like oh that might be kind of interesting so i mean presumably if they're going to where the paragon's call is it's going to be challenging to take Armand from his base of operations and escape with a day's lead time, basically. Um, so they're going to have to plan something out, I guess. Yeah, and that was interesting because weren't they? Weren't, wasn't there supposed to be like a month of free time that they could use the ship? Because they, they talked about for up to a, up to a month, yeah. Because you know they were like, if you finish that business quick enough, you can take it to EOS as well. So that would seemed to me that the ship was free but the captain's saying they got to go do something so i wonder well no he was saying there's not a there's not a like a because it's kind of like a no port thing yeah yeah like they have to basically like let them off and then Mm, go park somewhere else yeah that makes sense Uh, either was like uh, not only was there the fact there wasn't like the port but also it was kind of like a hostile area so they couldn't just down anywhere okay yeah That, that that checks out then yeah so yeah i wonder where they're gonna be let off then like you think they're gonna be let off at like the nearest port and gotta make their way or they're gonna like rappel off the side of the skyship somehow just probably like no over port. probably like over armand's house just uh <laughs> like seal team six to just yeah let us let us down right there <laughs> so i don't know we'll see yeah. I mean, paragon's call is a seemingly large organization if they could you know several hundred miles away could extend their reach to potentially take over a major city. Like I'm envisioning 
this is going to be a pretty um a city or wherever they're wherever like specifically the region they're going to be in it's going to be ideally probably pretty immersed with paragon's call influence so yeah yeah i don't know where they're going to land i think it's going to be a bit dangerous though from the get-go for sure yeah it'll be interesting i wonder if if ashton will try to use the connection um that they made with the was it the general, general of the paragon's call because they were like kind of got along and kind of made a connection right like didn't the general yeah. ask if Ashton was like looking for work? Yeah, something like that. So I'm sure Talison has that in his back pocket, but it'd be cool to see that kind of that card played and maybe they can right. maybe they could walk through the front doors without having to sneak in. Right. Um yeah, be interesting to see. And this episode tonight, um actually the last one for a while. Right. We start uh Calamity next week. Yeah. Four part miniseries which uh i you know i hate to go on a long hiatus from the main campaign but how awesome that we get a whole nother story to keep us company while we wait and one that i'm pretty excited for so um but yeah it'll just be interesting to see if what if any what type of cliffhanger we might end on here that we have to wait like a, a, a little bit to see the conclusion to yeah they said is it going to be every last week for the next four months Calamity, or, yeah. That's actually, I think it's just the next four weeks. Oh, like we're getting that long of a main campaign break? Yeah, yeah. Like the main oh. campaign is going on break for like a month. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't like that. So <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, that's too bad. I mean, I'm excited for it, but I, I just love the story. Yeah, so. me too. So, yeah. But what's awesome is like. You know the cast needs breaks, and with this with this pre-recorded schedule, you know who knows what the actual right. process is. But how awesome that they are going to weave in like it's a break, but we still get stuff. You know, like right. So right makes makes it go down a little bit smoother. The content must continue. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I guess we'll be talking about that then. Yeah, we still need to do. Uh, there's a lot we need to do. We need, well, uh, Kaimul as well. I don't. They're obviously yeah. not going to be connected because right. this is way in the past. But um, right. But yeah. Yeah. And The Witcher season two. It's <laughs> <laughs> coming soon. Yeah. Just you guys wait. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else you want to talk about from this episode? I don't think so. I think we. Okay. I think we got it. What's uh, What's our thumbnail? All right. Well, I got there's two. Uh, I feel like two possibilities here: Imogen Laudna or Chetney <laughs> store clerk. You got a <laughs> you got a preference between those two? Not that like, we have stuff I lined like up both a lot, actually. Um, I think Imogen Laudna because it's the bigger story point. Yeah, you're right. Okay. So I mean, I'm guessing we just kind of recreate that, like one person being like, 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 oh, I didn't mean to. And yeah, the other well, person, I thought like one person could be like the. You know, it's almost like Infinity Gauntlet, just kind of like the, like the, you know, and the person's like, okay, you know, or something like that. Yeah. All right. I'm about which it. One, which one do you want to be? Uh, you, you be Infinity Gauntlet. Cool. Cool. As, if right. That's cool with you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> if no one gets anything out of this, at least they'll appreciate the thumbnail. They better. So. Well, guys, let us know what you thought about the episode and your theories on what the heck is going on. Leave them in the comments below. Don't forget, we're on Twitter, at the Pixelus. And having said that, it is Thursday. It's Thursday. So enjoy the next episode. We'll catch you later. Yeah. Bye, y'all.